Hello and welcome to A Toast to the End of the World with me, Will Perity Pond, and myself, Sam Cox. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> this is a podcast about the world we live in. It's pretty complicated, isn't it, Sam? It's, yeah, mind bogglingly so. Mind bogglingly so. <laughs> and I'm going to say scary. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot happening, um, some huge changes, especially in Western politics, that are, quite frankly, frightening. Yeah, yeah. very frightening. I think. These things can be so large nowadays and so mm. even uncomprehendable in their scope and their impact. I think that's a really good summary because, I mean, even if we're going to take something small like Brexit, uh, at first it was an easy choice between leave or remain. And now it's between remaining a certain way, leaving a certain way. Yeah. And that's just within our, within our borders. So there's got to be something... <sighs> It's not simple anymore. It's gotten no, no, strange it's and not bizarre. And it's something that I... Sorry, I didn't mean to you. It's something that I struggle with a lot, if I was to be honest, mm. just trying to put my head around it and trying to digest these huge issues. Um, so I guess that's kind of why we started this podcast, yeah. to kind of talk about the world and to kind of come to terms with it a bit more. To try and make it make sense. Yeah. Should we say who we are? Yeah. Let's, let's say who we are. Let's introduce ourselves. Yeah, let's introduce ourselves. Okay, you go first, Sam. I, I, I insist. Uh, I'm Sam Cox, currently unemployed and loving it. <laughs> yeah, I'm Will Perity Pond. Uh, I'm a TV editor or video editor. Yeah, and just that's me. <laughs> we we keep... are two extremely interesting people. Very interesting people. I, I can't think of anybody else. I guess in a way we should say, and this is something I was thinking about on the train down here. We're currently recording this around Sam's place, just outside London. Is that you know we're not experts on anything that we're about to talk about. Or in some way, I guess you could even say, you know, professionally qualified. You know, we're not that. We're just, we're just people who are quite keen on the world around us and are very mindful of that and how we sit within it. Would you agree, Sam? Yeah, I'd agree massively with that. I mean, yeah. between us, I think we read a lot, watch a lot, and we just yeah try and scan the news as to anything yeah. that's interesting. Try and stay up with current events and yeah. try and just constantly digest. As I said earlier, constantly digesting these huge, incomprehensible facts and mm. issues that are happening. Yeah. Um, and this is our way to try and understand them. So thank you for joining us. <laughs> if you haven't already checked out. <laughs> yeah, if you have. Well, we've got nothing to say to you anymore anyway, because you've yeah. gone. <laughs> so uh, if you have already checked out, you are dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to look at a few things uh, just over the last week, really, that have um, got us thinking. So Yeah, things that have been on our minds and things that probably might have been on other people's minds as well, I would hazard a guess. Yeah, I think... So I suppose, really, like... It seems to be you can't do anything nowadays without it leading back to Brexit in some way. The yeah. tentacles of that thing have wormed their way into every single facet of society, it feels like. There is nothing you can do in the UK right now to get away from Brexit. You can't make a purchase choice, a business choice. You can't negotiate, you can't trade, you can't really do anything because there's so much uncertainty created by this strange and bizarre decision that was uh, taken in um, 2016 yeah um, and it feels like everything has come to a complete standstill even so that uh, certain people have either quit um, government in their offices and I think it was even the um, the party of social change just left because they had where they were getting no attention whatsoever yeah and while they were dealing with the biggest problems that this country faces um, they were left to to pick at the bones really, yeah of what was left behind. Well, I'd say you know as you know, Sam, I'm currently in the process of buying my first property. And even in that, something which I thought Brexit would have maybe a small effect on 
it's actually quite a large effect. Mm. You know, immediately the first question we asked anybody we saw was, you know, what will the effect of Brexit be on this process? And it almost gave it a bit of a time limit in a way, because once we leave, nobody knows what's going to happen. It could be good, or it could be bad. So we kind of had to strike into action. So, yeah, it's that kind of... If I was to be honest, before this, I think the effect of Brexit on me was quite small, rather, you know, other than just a hugely existential what the hell's going on way. <laughs> but, but now, you know, I, I've had it, I've, its effects have had a, like a, a real effect on me. Mm. And that's kind of got me thinking about how, I suppose it's been affecting other people like that for the past two years nearly, and how terrifying that must be for people. Yeah, I mean, I totally get that. I mean, when, the, um, when I woke up on the morning of, <laughs> I was absolutely shocked. And I went into work feeling, frankly, depressed. I yeah. just didn't know what to do with myself. I thought, yeah. why have we made this decision? What's it going to mean? Obviously, after a while, um, all the fear that had been thrown around, apparently, uh, sort of subsided. And everyone sort of got to the mind that, yeah, we are going to be leaving the European Union. But then um, later in that year, that's when we started looking at houses ourselves, uh, my partner and I. And I was, the whole time, we were only sure if we should buy or not. Mm-hmm. and if anything I think we were quite justified we bought in um, 2017 in the end and house prices since in this area have gone down roughly I think by about 6% oh my god that's so you know people can say you know it's nothing to do with Brexit but that's just not true because Brexit is affecting as you say it's got its, its tentacles everything it's everywhere there's no, nothing entirely. you can't get away from it entirely I remember it's funny you say that isn't it like I wonder you know how people always say for generations before us, you know, where were you when JFK was shot? Where were you when you heard John Lennon was shot? Where were you when you woke up and heard about Brexit? Yeah. Um, I wasn't working that day. I had a day off. I woke up really late, about 11. Uh, it was a really nice sunny day, wasn't it? And the first thing I heard was uh, Radio 4 saying, so it must have been 11 o'clock news, saying that David Cameron had resigned. Oh, I just had like a lurch in my stomach. You know, he mm. wasn't going to be resigning if it was good news, was he? Yeah. So, uh yeah, that was a bad day. <laughs> I, I think I saw Jeremy Vine from uh, ah. BBC Radio 2 doing the uh, analysis on the Good Morning Show or BBC show. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, when when he said we voted to leave, I just, I was I couldn't believe it. And by such a small margin, yeah, I mean that that was what very small margin really confused me because then it made me wonder what is it exactly that had pretty much bisected the country yeah. almost in half. Or the people that that voted anyway, but that was, yeah, that confounded me completely. I felt like I knew for so long before it, I was quite resolutely, we're not going to leave. Mm. It's fine. This will be voted that we're going to stay. And of course, you know, there'll be rumblings for years after from people Mm. who wanted to leave. Ironically, that's been the opposite way for us. (laughs) But I was pretty sure. And then the weekend before, I, I guess I should say I live in London. I think if you live in London, you can be very susceptible to living in a quite small media bubble. Mm. And then the weekend before, we went to uh, Weymouth for the weekend to go and see some of my wife's family had gone down there on holiday. And I came back from that weekend. Both my wife and I were like, we're going to leave. Like, I can just feel it now. Mm. Like, every single house had a vote leave poster. Mm. They were giving out information about it in the town. And actually reading that information helped me really understand it more and empathise maybe with these people. Because obviously they do have, well, at least the literature they were handing out, we're talking about issues of employment issues of long-term employment mm. this use of the kind of funding they get around there basically saying there's not a lot of either and i just thought you know if that if that was happening there i'm pretty sure it's happening in most other medium to large sized towns mm. 
Yeah. And and that's what got me. I, that was the Sunday before the vote, and I was like, okay, this this has made me re see this mm. event coming up. That's a really interesting point. I mean, when I went down to um, Yuki a couple of years ago, actually, tell lies about three or four years ago, um, I saw a lot of UKIP posters in the windows, and um, so even back then, UKIP were getting a really good toehold yeah. down in uh, Devon and Cornwall. And um, when I was at university as well, I learned not just how far behind Cornwall is economically but how tragically behind it is economically because yeah. it is the poorest um, county in this country by far. I absolutely far. know that, wow. Yeah, it's really, it's the poorest county. But, and it's, um, that really shocked me. And then when obviously the vote came through, they had all the red and blue on the map and obviously uh, Cornwall came up majority red. Um, I wasn't at all surprised. No, yeah. So, and, it's, um, and again, when you see uh, sort of the northeast of the country massively voted to leave, I didn't actually understand why. Um, until after the referendum and you start reading a lot about social issues up in those areas in that part of the uh, the country and um, I actually funny enough for a, a separate blog I actually went onto the streets of London with a sign asking people oh, how they that. voted South Bank was it? yeah South Bank yeah just outside the um, you should know this the Shakespeare Theatre what's that called? oh uh, the Globe the Globe I the always Globe. forget that name I've never been in there so I can't oh, I'd love to though yeah no it's meant to be really nice, meant to be really nice. you can get standing seat um, tickets Oh really? Yes, you can. St- I can think. That, I believe that's how plays are watched by many people. In I the would period. love to do that. Yeah, <laughs> the open air that. above you. Yeah, yeah. That's but anyway, so you did it. That's a good place to do it. Like there'd be a lot of tourists. Yeah, there would be a lot of workers there. People in the city who come to the city every day. Actually, yeah, there were. I mean, I got um, a lot of it was tourists. I had uh, two people that were from London, and I had a group of students that were from London, and that was really interesting. But um, I think the most interesting one was uh, one of the a Scottish lady, mm-hmm. um, obviously who vo- uh, Scotland voted heavily to remain. Um, I asked her why she voted to remain, and. Uh, answer honest answer was well we don't really like the Brit they don't really like the English and I thought she was joking and then she sort of went on about obviously there's been a lot of tension between the two countries for a long time Mm -hmm. and even that border divide was so different so different from each other and I was just I could not really say anything back to that I just said to her that's incredible that you you said that and then she then she went on and talked about how immigration has massively helped Scotland um, I, I can't testify to that because I, I don't live up there but it was interesting to hear yeah, her side of it to definitely. hear that side of it yeah yeah it's funny isn't it? you know this thing that seemed incomprehensible at the beginning now feels even more so because there's so many factors which have come up you know in debate in politics which I, I knew nothing about at the time no I, I wonder if that's because I didn't search it or maybe it just wasn't a known issue at the time so you know obviously like the backstop's been the big news this week oh god yeah. and has been for weeks <laughs> but you know if you had asked me two years ago what is or you know, whenever Brexit vote happened god it's only three years ago now actually isn't it three yeah, years this summer, it. time goes fast um, <laughs> too fast time goes fast when you're terrified of the future <laughs> when you're looking at the end of the world <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you had said you know what's a backstop I mean I, I would have said it's is, isn't that the thing you put on your door to stop it closing this is what's this is what's really grinding grinding my nads is that when you go um, and you hear Theresa May talking there was a plan A, which was a checkers plan. Yeah. And then obviously that got voted down by the House of Commons. And there yeah. was a plan B, because they're just trying to push through these small little bits of uh, legislation that yeah. should alter the past somehow. Yeah. And I was actually completely blown away that Jacob Rees-Mogg turned around and said he had a plan C. <laughs> and you think... Of course he did. I, I, obviously, because he's a defector in a high regard. 
Um, what do you mean by that, Sam? Well, he sort of went away from Theresa May and very much uh, voted okay. against her. And then in the House, uh, in 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 the House of Commons, he actually stood up and apologised to her and told her, told uh, Theresa May that he was standing behind her again. And is that and his then, position now? Or has he changed his position? Well, I, don't, I, I, I must admit, I don't know. I just okay. heard an article the other day um, just saying that he had a plan C because now he's got a um, obviously a radio slot on um, LBC. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he does. A... So I, it's just something, a clip that I saw, yeah. which I think was from LBC. But, I, I mean, one politician can go backwards and forwards so much. Yeah. You've got an entire party and the shadow party or the opposition that are doing exactly the same and yeah there's no I mean I'm well, we, we need to, we, this is why we're here we need to figure out an answer to this to see well, what's going to happen I think unfortunately though there is no rhyme or reason to it mm. when you have a a government which votes against the plan negotiated and laid forth <laughs> by its prime minister votes against it mm. which happened on a Tuesday yeah and then the next day on the Wednesday doesn't vote a no confidence movement against her oh. it, it's almost it's yeah it's there's no rhyme or reason. You're voting against her her policies and what she thinks is the best way to go, but then you want to keep her. <laughs> That's so, because no one else wants the job. Yeah, and whether whether I think she should be there or not, I'm not even talking about that, you know mm. what I mean? Uh, it's just, it's very strange. It, it's very, very, very strange. Yeah, I mean, I actually had um, this sort of a flutter of joy when they actually voted down her uh, proposal because I thought it was, a lot of people thought that the Chequers plan was awful. Yeah. So when they voted down, I was really, really happy about that. But then when they were asked what they wanted to do and they were so fractured, they didn't even know. Yeah. I, I lost confidence in them as well. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for Remainers and for Leavers uh, both, it seems that nothing is going to make either side happy. Do you think there's going to be a no deal? No. I do think that will be avoided. It's just... It's just... It's, it's such a impossibility yeah. because, because it, it can't be allowed to happen. Basically. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Because the amount of trade that we are currently um, having with the EU to suddenly be cut yeah. into such a such a, um, a schism from that, yeah. which we know so well, I think in WTO terms, that's just that's really going to hit us on the head. And especially yeah. when you hear stories like they're stockpiling medicines. and uh, Yeah, entirely. It's, 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 it's mad. Well, my, uh, my parents want a small business with children. Uh, and my dad started not really I wouldn't say stockpiling mm. but just some essentials you know because he said to me you know he doesn't want to be a panic merchant or panicking <laughs> but you know he, they look after children and they have to make sure their children are well stocked and supplied is, for so he just wants to be conscious and mindful of that that is really you know that is really interesting yeah so I'm sure you know they're only a small business but I'm sure many larger businesses and many mm. larger organisations are doing that on a much larger scale <laughs> See, I have a lot of admiration for your parents in that respect because I am already thinking about buying a massive satchel, packing it full of beans, giving a couple of axes in there, knives, fire lighters. <laughs> I am talking full-on bug-out bag. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so, so you're going to go the full Walking Dead route, then, yeah, basically? Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to treat everyone like zombies and just cut them down and just to make yeah. sure that I survive. I think my dad was thinking like pasta, butter... Uh, like a regular medication I take, I checked with my pharmacist. I said, you know, do you foresee any issues? And they said, no, I don't foresee any issues with getting your particular medication. Mm. And I said, oh, you know, you must think maybe I'm silly for asking. And, you know, I don't want to sound silly. But they were really nice and said pretty much everybody who's come in has asked. Yeah. Right? So, and that's just a small pharmacy in London. So mm. it is something that people are conscious of and are inquiring about. Um, yeah. See, yeah, that's, that's, 
That's really interesting because medicines is uh, one side of it. I mean, I used to work in the um, building materials trade. Oh, yes. And that was really interesting because we had a, uh, a certain product called Celotex, mm-hmm. and we get a lot of the chemicals that made up Celotex from Germany. Okay. The factory burnt down, and we couldn't get the Celotex. So I wonder if that's just one instinct, one, one yeah. instant of a, a trade, yeah. one product. And if we don't have a, a trading deal and it just suddenly gets cut, how are those products going to come in as cheap as they do or you know tariff free on w2 rules i'm i'm, I'm still you're not sure I'm, no i'm not sure about that will well. that shortfall if you could call it a shortfall or you know the new the new distance now between the price we were paying or the mm. price you know a supplier or a buyer was paying for a certain product and the new price of that product mm. surely that's just going to come down to consumer isn't it to take that on it always does yeah. i mean because, very, very rarely do you see and, it. and as a consumer i can't expect and i wouldn't expect you know any supplier or middleman to take that on because why should they like yeah if, if i'm not taking on that shortfall mm. somebody else in the chain is you know exactly somebody's gonna lose so, yeah yeah i mean oh it's, it's such a hard one isn't it i mean this we could really delve into that that's a social issue that i would love to just claw into but maybe we should stay on the uh, mm. on topic for now mm. but no i mean going going back to the um the trade i mean as it was pointed out they are looking at um the road leading into dover as a possible lorry lorry car park or a lorry park um because they think if there's going to be x amount of uh, vehicles stopped every day it's just going to line up and we're going to have yeah. a, a whole heap of issues so eight thousand trucks come in and out of dover every day and they used 89 trucks to, to, to simulate this oh this epic God. backstop of vehicles. Uh, I, I, and they couldn't even do that, right? They actually, they actually messed yeah. it up. So you sort of think, like, if, if, if you are actually putting a contingency into place where you are simulating a traffic jam yeah. and that goes wrong, like, how can you <laughs> actually ima- imagine how leaving is going yeah. gonna to affect everything? I think, um, and I guess on that, there's so many other factors in there as well. It's like any goods that it might be carrying that have mm. a certain amount of shelf life on them that could become spoiled yeah. whilst they're there god or even you know on a more personal or human level the drivers in those trucks now you have to oh, add on no, to yeah. their lives what might be days i guess yeah. waiting outside ports and that's you know, like away from their families away from and their families and how's that going to work out with pay and stuff like that because if you're you know if you're somebody who runs a truck company i'm god, sure that's yeah. a consideration they're taking and yeah. they're thinking about now or you'd think it'd be crazy not to like yeah I mean I, I think what's the, what's the phrase you know can organise a, a, a nun shoot at a nunnery isn't it like can organise a traffic jam on a motorway like. I think you're being uh, I think you're trying to avoid some swear words there don't worry you're allowed to swear I don't, I, I don't want to put an E on this podcast <laughs> I think I said balls earlier I'm not sure that <laughs> that contributes to us I'll uh, edit around that no, no good stuff good stuff so moving away from trade what do you think's happened to the people of this country since Brexit I'm going to hasten to say, I'm going to hasten to guess, I think they've become a bit more angry. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's such a dividing issue. It's the most dividing issue of my lifetime. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's nothing else that's been as dividing. So, yeah, what do you think has happened to people? Um, I think... In your experience. In my experience, um, I think it's a, a massive polarisation. You know, people, they... In the, in the, in the face of this huge country altering uh, decision um you know people have run to their back to their home grounds their parties um and obviously you've got this math obviously in the last election we saw that uh, it was practically split between labor mm. and conservatives yeah and 
and I think that's I think that's actually tragic because Jeremy Corbyn offered absolutely no resolve yeah. about Brexit, nor did he state his position. So I think for the country to suddenly go half and half into very uncertain waters, especially considering what the Conservatives put forward in the last election, like, you know, bringing back fox hunting, what the hell was that about? But like, you think like you would not the people of this country. Why would you vote for a party? I know it sounds very trivial, but the fox hunting. We are a part, um, a country that loves animals. We love our wildlife. We love our green spaces. So, I still think that during that election, Theresa May must have been trying to throw it. What you think that she didn't want it? I don't think she did. Oh, it's the most surely it's the most unthankful job in the world. Yeah, I mean, trying to get us through Brexit is yeah, a, is an absolute minefield. What is it that um, you know, there's that old kind of fact that Margaret Thatcher had four hours sleep a night wasn't it, for <laughs> most of her premiership mm. uh, I doubt Theresa May is having many more no yeah no. I, I know it's easy when you live above the above <laughs> the office but <laughs> I'm wondering if she's just like overdosing on like coffee and I don't know What's that? Oh, I forgot that stuff it's called. Little packets of caffeine tablets. <laughs> oh yes, yes. I've, I've stayed away from those. Yeah, like, yeah. Like personally, I've never been that aligned with a political party. Mm. Um, in fact, in the how many general elections have I had in my lifetime? So in the four general elections in my lifetime that I could vote in, I voted for three separate parties across those. So I've mm. never really followed. And when you say that people have kind of run back to their home turf, run back to their party. In my situation, I I've, I felt it, if anything, it's just kind of made me feel more despondent in it because I flitted around, I felt like I found a base and then, I don't mind saying, you know, I was quite keen on Jeremy Corbyn when he came up uh, and I voted for him. And then, you know, that kind of hasn't been replicated in his actions since. Mm. So I wonder if there's other people out there like myself who feel just a bit lost now in it. Like that there's, you know, you feel a bit wandering almost, mm. a bit like a nomad in the political landscape. Yeah, I mean, I totally... Totally agree with that. I mean, for a long time, uh, for the last, what, I consider myself a Liberal Democrat for the past six years, but I knew that in the last election they were not going to stand a chance. Yeah. So I did vote for Jeremy Corbyn and myself, um, purely to, as a Remainer, I wanted to try and, I I believed that he would be more likely to try and get us to remain, so obviously I voted for him. And, um, yeah, he's frankly, especially in the most recent, in, in recent weeks, considering he's turned around and said, that he's still going to say we are going ahead with Brexit. And that, th- that completely threw me because he was always in the fence and, you know, he was always holding out a yeah. little bit of hope that he might just try and turn it. Yeah. But no, he, he, he let down a lot of his base as well doing that. I feel like, I don't know, yeah, I can't talk for yourself or for anybody else, but for me, I think if I had have made more of an effort researching, all those signs were probably there. Mm. Since he's, you know, one thing you can say for Jeremy Corbyn is he stands by his opinions over a long yeah. time, and he his dislike of the EU as an organisation. Mm. Um, he's spoken about it many times, like since the eighties. Yeah. So maybe I just caught caught up in it, you know, in that kind of rush before yeah. the election that he could take power and we could have a different way. No, same. I mean, I recently read a book uh, with Robert Peston, WTF. And um, I think he puts it extremely well in saying that because Jeremy Corbyn always positioned himself uh, on the middle of the fence or he could go either way, he sort of gained a lot of the people that were in neutral ground. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think he had a massive following because of that. Was well, that a good book by Robert Preston? Oh, it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, he's it's actually one of my favourite uh, non-fiction books of really? last year. Yeah. yeah, he's a really great guy. I really I enjoy watching his content. Yes, I, I like his interview style. I'm still trying to get my head around how people have have changed is that something that interests you, Sam? Like, 
It massively interests because me. I think that's it's very. It's not surprising that would interest you because I think you always look for the human side of a situation or the personable side of it, how it's affected mm. people. And with all this huge rhetoric that comes with Brexit mm. and with so much emphasis on what's happening in Parliament, mm. it feels like that human aspect to it is kind of being lost. Well, that's it. I mean, the people, um, a lot of people said they didn't vote to leave the European Union, they voted against the establishment or what they considered the establishment. Um, the fact that they actually thought that the likes of Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg, Nigel Farage, were not part of the establishment is frankly beyond me. Crazy. Yeah, but I can understand... I am a Remainer, but I completely understand why people voted to leave. Not the European Union part, but as a, a vote of no confidence in the establishment, because for a long time, people in certain sections of this country have been completely ignored. And I think it was their chance to at least put their foot in the door. To make a difference. To stop it. Yeah, yeah. To be, to be listened to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I listened to a really interesting podcast the other day. Did you ever listen to the Briefing Room Radio 4 podcast with, I think his name, David Aronovich? He's a Radio 4 journalist. No, I'm not actually... No, you would like it, it, Sam. It's um, it's basically every week they get experts around to talk about many issues mm. uh, or what the issue might be of that week. And they did a backstop episode. Oh, wow. They're with 28 minutes long. Wow. I suppose that always <laughs> sits in a slot. Let's try and explain it, I guess. Yeah, but it's pretty good, actually. Mm. But one of his contributors he had on... I can't remember her name now. She was talking about it, uh, like the social aspects. Mm. Um, so the backstops, not just, you know, what happened on trade, what's happening politically... But I think the question that David Aronovich poses is what will happen to the people and their sense of identity? Mm. And that was really, I would say, eye-opening. You know, she was talking about how, I won't try and explain what she said, but she was talking <laughs> about how people see themselves, you know, whether you live on the South or North Divide in Ireland. Um, mm. And it's it's interesting to hear that side. I don't feel like I've heard that side of it before. Yeah, I mean, these are people that you... I mean, I had an interview... Um, I forget who it was with, but they, they pretty much looked at a, a guy who owned farmland in um, Ireland and it bordered and went over the border of, into Northern Ireland. And he said, obviously, I walk through this every day. There's no checks here. There's, you know, we're all Irish, especially after a Good Friday agreement. There's a lot of cohesion. Yeah. I think I, with the North dividing from what is a, uh, the Republic of Ireland, I think that's going to be a, a massive massive issue oh yeah well it already has been hasn't it it's, been, oh, it's, 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 it's unfathomable but the last couple of months have been a real lesson in kind of educating my ignorance on things you know yeah I, I mean that's been for the last two years I, mean, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever been more interested in politics when I'm seeing it absolutely yeah. crumble before my eyes and when I'm the thinking... effect of it is so immediate to oneself I, I know that's yeah. a selfish thing to say but hopefully through that you can you can find out how it affects other people mm. and understand the situation better. If you see what I'm saying, I'm trying, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, but, but the thing is, I mean, you say um, witness the effects and I mean, I think everyone is. Yeah. I mean, some people felt like Europe was taking jobs from them because they might have moved a production um, factory somewhere else. That is purely the fault, I believe, of, yes, the company that did it, but also the government for not trying to get enough trade yeah. throughout the country instead of just trying to centralise it all in the southeast. Um, which you know we're from the south yeah, I mean, and we've always enjoyed that exactly um, we've always known work yeah we've always known work we've always known prosperous times mm. I've actually just come to this realisation as you were talking and I'm, I'm a bit blown away by this <laughs> you're, you're, my, you're the voice in my head <laughs> thank you but I've just, it's now more than ever that I've realised the actual link between politics and people before I thought politics was something that's so far above us that 
that you you cannot have an influence on it because yeah. I immediately think of it as you know these people are obviously the government are governing exactly what we do and how we should go about things and how the economy should be raised and I think the Brexit vote shook that that vision and yeah. now I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking so much more about how politics actually affects the people and how politicians have let a lot of people down or yeah. you know as I say they've moved um, jobs towards our lo- locale yeah. I guess we so, should say as well, though, you know, there are obviously politicians, other politicians who haven't let a lot of people down and politicians yeah. who have kept people's faith. Um, it's, oh, it's, that's such a hard topic to, to, to breach, especially uh, the thing is, I, I want to be diplomatic about these things. Yeah. But then you get people like Marc Francois. Who, is he? I don't know who Marc Francois he's is. He's um, MP for Rally and, oh, I've forgotten it, Rally and something else. It'll come back to me later. But um, he was caught on tv saying you know my um granddad didn't uh you know um yield to the germans and neither oh his son yes i remember this my dad did he mention d-day son. as well did he bring i up? think it was yeah i think it was yeah. the same interview i'm not sure you know, interestingly i was just listening to on the way here i said the news quiz for this week mm. uh, bbc radio for comedy show and andy hamilton on that was saying how disrespectful he feels it is for people to say that i, I think it's ridiculous you know when they say you know you know we beat the germans or whatever it might be mm. Hugely, I mean, not only insulting to people that fought it, but you got to think D-Day is one battle in what was essentially the World War. So Sam, I guess as well in this podcast, because mm. as you said earlier, very, very nicely, we are people as well who are interested in many things, mm. but we're also voracious readers. <laughs> yes, we are. In fact, I might put a sound effect here of Page pages looking. rapidly turning. Yeah, as if uh, was it Short Circuit, the eighties robot? Oh, yeah, yeah. God, that's amazing. <laughs> So what are you reading at the moment? Um, I'm actually reading book six in uh, what is the Expanse series. I absolutely love this uh, series. It's what my friend and what everyone terms as a space opera. Mm-hmm. It's just so grandiose in what it's accomplishing. Yeah. And um, it's great. When, when Star Trek came out, you know, they had, you can actually learn Klingon. And there's actually a language in this, um, which is a, uh, a form of Creole. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but it's actually a belter language and it's, a belters are people that actually live in space and they have their own sort of uh, language wow. and I thought is this actually a thing so I looked it up online it's it's becoming a language that's and amazing. I thought this is so good I was like, I, I love, love being part of something that's going to be like in certain circles as big and it's all encompassing as Star Trek yeah <laughs> it's, I mean, it's amazing well if it's already up to six yeah, installments I mean, well it's actually a seventh um, oh, I just wow. haven't read that one yet I, yeah anything that anything that can get well, I guess I should ask, this new language, is that being developed by fans a lot? No, I think it's actually by, I mean, because uh, it says it's uh, written by James S.A. Corey, but it's actually a conglomeration of two writers that are writing the books. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I so think that's they, a fake name, that's a pseudonym. Yes, yeah, pseudonym, yeah. yeah. Um, and the first book had uh, the Belter language in it from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, it was, it was definitely the authors that were, um, propagated it, or that's started it, sorry, and it might be propagated by um, fans, I'm not sure. I reckon it will be. Any Any... Anything that's written or film or whatever or music that can get that much interest and dedication from fans mm. uh, is inspiring. Yeah. You know what I mean? To, oh, I to make people it. love it that much. Even yourself, you know, went online to research these languages, yeah. to research <laughs> was this based on anything, you know, how mm. it was how it was formed. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, that's the thing. It was the first um, thing I've ever read, watched, if you want to put it into that category, the thing I've ever consumed that um, I actually thought, I, I, I had a really nerdy thought that I want to learn this language <laughs> and I was just like oh no <laughs> but at the same time I was thinking why not you know <laughs> do you speak Klingon I don't speak Klingon 
on the latest Star Trek series on Netflix, you can turn on Klingon subtitles and oh, I put them on to have a look. Immense. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Are you reading any non-fiction? I know you like to read non-fiction as well at the same oh, time. I love non-fiction. Um, yeah, I mean, recently it was it was Robert Peston's. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Uh, before that, I think probably uh, maybe maybe the most the, the best non-fiction book I've ever read. Really? Was, uh, yeah, Utopia for Realists by oh, Rutzka Bregman. I remember you talking about Bregman. that. What's that about? Uh, more or less, it's about how society um, is very. Uh, there's a lot of inequality between businesses and between people uh, on the lower rung of things, and he makes a really compelling argument as to why people that push around money in higher sectors um, get paid so much money when yeah. people that are actually doing the things that we care about, like cleaning the streets and get uh, and things like that, are getting paid so little. And when he puts it in that kind of perspective, it, it, you end up scratching your head and thinking, wow, that's that's really interesting. And then he puts forward, and there's a lot of contention around this issue at the moment, but he puts forward the um, argument of um, universal income. Mm-hmm. But he's actually looked at um, places where it's worked phenomenally, where people have grabbed the money, started businesses, or they've yeah. grabbed the money and invested it somehow. Um, there's the argument if, if it would work in this culture or not, we don't know, but um, we can only assume it. <laughs> well, he can only, um, I suppose, the author can only put forward his opinion on mm. it and put that out there for other people to discuss. Yeah, you know, so that sounds really interesting. And he like has a, uh, this is uh, sorry, this is just the last thing I'll say is that he talks about how, and this is where people are going to be a very, very divided. But he says about how there should be no nations, there should be no borders. Okay. Now. A lot of people will not like the sound of that, and I can understand why, because that is part of ident- identity. Yeah, um, entirely. Especially since uh, uh, World War Two. I mean, people were very uh, there was a lot of fluidity in um, yeah uh, borders back then, but now it's, it's very much identity. But he says if you strip those borders away, the transference of wealth actually uh, will generate a huge amount of um, equality throughout the world. And I but think does he talk really about? He's not talking about stripping away culture of those no. places, is he? He's not talking. Well, I'm asking, you know, he's he's not talking about stripping away, you know, he's, if you're going to strip away the border between France and Germany, he's mm. not talking about those cultures to instantly assimilate within each other. You can still feel no. your own cultural heritage in those two places. Oh, of course, yeah. So what are, what's on the, your list? What, what have I, you been... What have I been reading? Oh, at recently? well, at the moment, I've just started, a bit bizarrely, I bought in a Oxfam bookshop on Goo Street in London. Um, Richard E. Grant, you know, the actor? Yeah. He wrote some diaries from... Oh, right just before he starred in Wood Now and I which is mm-hmm. his first big film up until about 96 mm. so I just started reading those and they are absolutely hilarious <laughs> he, um, he's a man who if he can put 10 words in when it two could do he'll write with 10 oh, really? but they're always absolutely hilarious and uh, yeah, it's very yeah, I like films so it's mm. interesting to see the behind the scenes but actually I just finished before that though a really interesting book that my dad lent me about Joan of Arc oh okay who's a figure I've never known that much about yeah I must admit I'm sketchy you've got to educate know. me well it was a really interesting book actually like I knew I could say I knew the basics you know mm-hmm. that she said she had a messages from gods mm-hmm. that she fought for the French army you know at a time when mm-hmm. women didn't fight 1428 I want to say uh, and then that she was burnt at the stake by the English so I knew those three facts but the book's really good actually it's by Helen Castor who's a really good historian mm. and she divides the book up into three sections really the first section is pre Joan of Arc. Mm. The middle is Joan of Arc's main influence and really what she did. So it kind of picks up with her when she joins the French court. We don't really look at her early life. Yeah. And the last section of the book is post 
Joan of Arc and what happened after she died. That's and the, really interesting. And those three sections are pretty much the same length. So mm. you go in, so once you've read the first section, which lasts for about 15 years before she first made an impact, you're so immersed in French and English history at that time that it gives you an amazing context for her acts. That's brilliant. And then that means in your last section, when you see what happened after her, and then eventually 20 years later when she was, you know, when when the French courts overturned the decisions mm. on her to, you know, burn her as a heretic, you kind of know all the cultural, social context of it. And it's it's really, really good. Oh, yeah, like, I have to say, I was really good. impressed with that aspect of it. My dad, when he gave it to me, he said, you know, there's a lot of dates and stuff and a lot of history in here. Mm. But it is very thrillingly written, and I gotta say, I really, I really, really like that. That's the thing I find with history books is the same as Shakespeare. If you read them slowly, you don't like them. Yeah. Whereas if you read Shakespeare quickly, I find that you sort of get immersed in the language so quickly yeah. that you you get more of a feel of what he's saying. Yeah, I would say with Shakespeare personally, I find it very difficult to read. But if somebody's speaking it, I find it very captivating. Mm. I think it's something that I weird. I take more as like a verbal performance mm. rather than a. Have you ever sat down and read a Shakespeare play? Yeah, yeah, I had to do a couple during um, college. Yeah, impressed with that sound. Yeah, I do. <laughs> the thing is, a teacher would laugh sometimes, be like, <laughs> "What funny joke?" And I'd be like, "What are you looking at?" <laughs> I'm just looking at the same line thing. Is that a joke in here? Did you watch Blackadder? Uh, yeah, well, I used to. I haven't seen it in, in years. There's there's a bit where Blackadder insults Baldrick and says, "You're just as funny as a Shakespeare comedy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, it's about time to wrap this up. Us too. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you're joining us again to help us try and figure out this world yeah so and uh raise a glass with us to uh toast the end of it toast toast the end of the world so goodbye everyone goodbye <laughs>